Amen. Let's once more go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for just the, the blessing and the joy and the privilege it is to be able to <clears throat> worship you, to be able to come and even prior to, to getting into your word that you are already working and you are already uh, moving in, in the way of humbling our hearts and, and preparing our hearts for your word and, and helping us, Lord, that our hearts would be lifted to you and our minds would be lifted to you and we would uh, reflect upon Christ and upon what he has done and, and then our own call to come not to this uh, service making it about ourselves, but coming to make it about you, that we would, uh, there would be less of us and more of you. And that is what we want, Lord. Uh, we don't always walk that way. And we, we say that and we pray that uh, uh, with a, a kind of grieving in our hearts, knowing that uh, we have grieved you. And, but we thank you, Father, that uh, you are gracious and you help us and you uphold us and you keep us and you're shaping us through all of these things to conform us to your Son. And we know in him we have hope and that an immovable hope. And so we thank you and we ask now, help us to come that indeed it would be that after this uh, time in your word, it would be less of us and more of you. And so help us, Father, we pray. Give me grace. Bless our time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, over these past three weeks, we have been walking through uh, the book of Jonah. And last time, we ended really with a sense of rejoicing. Uh, we we ended chapter 3 glad. You know, you left the church with a smile on your face from Jonah chapter 3. <laughs> so we what we saw there, uh, we saw something akin to a revival. Uh, we did not see revival in the sense of, you know, people having come to saving faith. Uh, but we saw Nineveh urgently repent. And so they humbled themselves, you know, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And they called out mightily to God. And they even, their humbling was so extensive that they even had the animals put on sackcloth and fast. I mean, that is a humbling. Well, Jonah 3, it seemed like the perfect ending, right? We just close our Bible. That was just a nice a nice story right there. <laughs> we, not, it was a story in the way that the world means. It was a story in the way of true truth. But, you know, Jonah obeyed, Nineveh repented, and God had mercy on them. You know, it was a time of celebration. Gather everyone around. Bring out the best food. Announce what God has done on Facebook and on social media and invite people to come and join in this celebration. But, as everyone is getting ready to serve the cake, 
You look up, and what do you see? You see Jonah chapter 4. So instead of hashtag mic drop, it's hashtag cake drop. So Jonah 4, it comes with this sense, you come and we come to it with a sense of dismay. You know, who would have expected this? You know, Debbie Downer enters the building and brings the building down. <laughs> it's essentially what, like, everything was going right. I mean, this was going the way we thought it was supposed to go, and, and now it just really kind of falls apart. What happened here? But, as we will see with this last chapter of the book of Jonah, I think there is more here than meets the eye. And I actually would say it actually ends on a, with a sense of a positive note. So the purpose of this book, it will not be thwarted, even with Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. The compassion and mercy of God towards all peoples, that we would be a people of compassion and mercy towards all peoples, is upheld when all is said and done with this book. So, without further ado, let's come to the final chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. And may God's powerful word work powerfully in us. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and then the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. That's the end of Jonah (laughs) with a question mark. Well, there is so much in this final chapter that we could look at, but without a doubt, it comes with a gasp. We are at once, we aren't led into celebration, but we are led into anger. And not God's anger, but Jonah's anger. So first, here, let's look at Jonah. And let's look at his exceedingly great anger. So Jonah is not happy. And that that really is to put it mildly. Uh, in the Hebrew, you are meant to kind of get the picture that he is just livid here. I mean, he is not happy. Of course, that is not in comparison to God's anger when he is exceedingly angry, which you get out of the way for that. Well, well, in this case, it's just Jonah, so we're not dealing with God here, but here we do see that he is very, very angry. My, uh, ESV footnote, it helps give the sense of the word used here. It says, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. So evil is the word that Jonah uses here of God. Woof. (laughs) So remember, this is not the first time that we've seen this word in Jonah. We've seen it referred to the Ninevites, evil, these evil people, and what Jonah was doing in chapter 1 and how he was fleeing from the Lord. Now Jonah, he wields it like a sword to thrust into God's heart. One commentator, he rightly said, Jonah hated what God had done. It made him furious, and if this is shocking, it is supposed to be so. But we came to the end of chapter 3 excited and thankful, even humbled ourselves in light of God's great mercy that in reflection that he has had on us as well, that we have received in Christ as well. Thank you, Lord. But not Jonah. We end with this sense of, Jonah, I thought you were good. You seem fine. We thought you had gotten the lesson. This was all good. What happened? No, Jonah was angry as though he had been wronged and he thought what God had done was wrong. I mean, what contrast we have seen in this book. God's slow anger, Jonah's great anger. God's exceeding mercy, Jonah's extending of condemnation. God's relenting, Jonah's persisting. And Jonah cannot see it. Right? You're reading your Bible and you're like, I see it, Jonah. You'll be like, what are you missing here? I mean, mercy, mercy, mercy on you and on the Ninevites. I mean, what is going on with you, Jonah? Now, sure, Jonah's anger is wrong on many levels. But let us not miss 
His blindness is not all that different from ours. I mean, note the contradicting and blinding nature of our sin. When we say this, you know, our sin blinds us. We aren't talking in the abstract. We aren't just saying it to say it. Our sin blinds us. It does not lead us well. When we are living in sin, it is irrational. So many times, as I'm sure in your life, I have encountered people where they're doing something and from the outside, looking in. It's obvious. This is not for your good. This is not good for you or for anyone. Yet you are continuing in it. We see the irrationality of it. But they don't. And the same for me. (laughs) And for you also. You know, I can think back as well, you know, in my own life and see again and again how this has lived out. My own blindness to sin. Um, You know, you're not married long before this shows up. I mean, Megan and I, our first year was tough, you know, being married. We argued a lot, you know, and if she was here with us today, she's with Micah again because he's still, you know, getting better, but she would say the same thing. I mean, it was a tough year. And so, I mean, my what, what was going on, there were my own selfishness my own demanding of my way, my own habits that I have lifted above love and for my closest neighbor, my wife had superseded it all. And it had blinded me. And even, even within you know, my singleness, I had not seen sin in my life that was there. And then when I got married, my oh my, how it came out. All these things that I thought I was good in, you know, like going into this marriage like, Man, I, I'm, I'm a holy guy. And wow, you, you really get humbled and you find out how unholy you still are once you get married. Yes. <laughs> well, my marriage brought out just how much I was blind to in my walk with Christ. Now, I mean, if you're single here, this does not leave you out either. I mean, God uses the relationships that you have as well to humble you. <laughs> I mean, all the relationships here in the body of Christ, even as you have the relationships in home groups and so on, I mean, God will use those to show you things that you don't really want to see. Now, I know we would all like to always put our best foot forward, but the truth is, we don't. And we won't. I am going to mess up. And you will all see it. And you are going to mess up. And I don't know if all of you will see it, but, you know, maybe a lot of people will. (laughs) But God, He uses His body, He uses His church, He uses you and me, He uses each other to sanctify us for our good and His glory. We need each other. And that is not always nice and neat. It can be very messy at times. 
But God uses that mess to mold us and shape us into Christ and to become like Christ. And that's what we want. And that's what we want even in that moment when you're saying that's not what I want. (laughs) Let me say, you know, we need each other, married and single alike, to expose our blind spots. You know, I talked about getting married and how you can be blind. Well, there's also the component of you are married and you as a couple are blind to your sins. Then the body of Christ comes and we come together. And so we need each other. So are we really all that different from Jonah? Hey, that last piece of cake was mine. (laughs) Hey, are you sitting on the couch? You need to get to work just like I am. I'm sweeping the kitchen. What are you doing? Why are you watching the game? I'm watching washing dishes. Help me clean up dinner. I mean, this is how it goes, right? Hey, hey, what? Are you, hey, stop it! You know. So we get angry and we get offended, really, at all sorts of things, even like Jonah. And we get angry at God, too. And that, that is wrong. That's irrational as well. And let me just say, there is never, and I would encourage you to put this you know, deep into your memory, even lock it firmly into your heart. There is never a time, nor will there ever be a moment when God has done wrong, nor when he has done you wrong. And I'm telling you, lock it in your mind now because that's going to be challenged. I mean, you look back, people I know who who that's happened to. You look back on church history. You look at men and women of faith who have been knocked down. They almost lose their faith. So lock it in your heart now. That there is never a moment when God has done wrong, nor when he has done you wrong. He is always good in all that he does. He is always just, even in his extension of mercy. Well, how? How can he be just in giving mercy? Well, his son had to die. As we saw this morning, his mercy to be just would require a sacrifice. He does not just push sin underneath the rug. It is required for him to remain just that sin be punished. And how was it punished? It was punished through Jesus Christ. So he cannot simply let sin go unpunished. His justice must be satisfied. And so this leads us then might of our own blindness and now we can be like Jonah ourselves to God's question for Jonah. Let's look at that. And his question for Jonah, we just said we're like Jonah in various ways, so by extension, his question for us. So as Jonah make, makes clear, he fled originally because he was afraid God would be merciful to the Ninevites if they repented. 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So again, like a child, Jonah, he essentially is saying, if you don't judge them, just take my life right now. So God asks Jonah a question, just one. Do you do well to be angry? So when you have your Jonah moment, not if, but when, remember this question from the book of Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? There are a great deal of complexities and twists It turns to this life, and I do not mean to minimize those whatsoever. There are indeed complex issues, and there are indeed difficult things that we walk through in this world. When you lose a child, or when you're told you have cancer, when things don't make sense and persist in not making sense, that is not easy. And it is then... And I urge you to receive this question. Now there is a way that we are to receive this question as well. As believers in Christ, it isn't, this question is not to be received as though God is, you know, standing over us with his hands on his hips saying, do you do well to be angry? You know, like this angry, harsh God standing over you. That is not the way that we are to see God, or think of God, when we're walking through those complexities of life, when we come to this question. No, I think the disposition here is a merciful disposition. We have seen that throughout this book already. And what does Romans say? His kindness leads us to repentance. Beloved son, beloved daughter, do you do well? To be angry. When it is in those times we need to remember Jonah. We need to remember God's merciful, kind, tender disposition toward us. Remember, He has not changed. Remember, He is still good. And remember how good He has still been to you. So, we've seen Jonah's exceedingly great anger. Now let's turn to see next Jonah's exceedingly great pity. Jonah goes out from the city, and he goes east of it, having traveled northwest to get to Nineveh. He now goes in the direction that he came, so now east, and he sits just outside of the city. He makes a booth for himself there, likely made of, you know, rocks and branches and such and leaves. Well, Jonah, so he sits back, maybe grabs some popcorn, and he says, all right, God, you know what's right. I'm waiting for you to do what you need to do. Now, as God appointed the great fish, we see again 
this same work with the appointing of this plant to shade Jonah. So what's the point? Well, the great fish was a great mercy. Now mercy is being extended again to Jonah. Jonah was exceedingly glad about this plant that God had created. Now, let me repeat that because we're meant to have a parallel picture here. Ninevites, plant. Jonah was exceedingly glad about this plant God had created, formed, and grown for him. But God turns to appoint again. But this appointing is different. It's appointing to destroy. It's an appointing that will end the plant. God appoints this time not in mercy, but to judge the plant. And God appoints this scorching wind. And so this is the idea that's being set up for us and for Jonah to see. Now Jonah is angry again. The plant is gone. His comfort was disrupted. And of course, all this is one big contradiction again and again. You're angry, Jonah? Here again, we need to turn to examine our contradictions. This time, not to know that we have them, but to accept their exposure. Let your contradictions be exposed. As hard as it, as it is, it's good when our contradictions are exposed to us by God. They're there. <laughs> They're in our hearts. They are in our homes. They are in our workplaces. They are all around. And this is where, in God's mercy, He uses His Word. And just think about that. Think about Sunday mornings and thinking, this is a mercy of God. He's using the preaching of the Word of God as a merciful way to shape me and to become like Christ. Think about how that would impact how you hear the Word of God in Sunday mornings. Well, He uses the Word and He begins exposing them to the light. He uses the Word, He uses His church, and He begins exposing our sins and contradictions to the light. So as is getting ready to be the case with Jonah here, let them be exposed. Let them be unraveled. And let them be undone. Let them be brought to the light and let the light by the Spirit of God put them to death. Now, we turn then to the conclusion of this book and to God's lesson for Jonah. So God asks his question again. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Mercy again. God is exposing Jonah's contradictions. And Jonah, he responds, my anger is right. You are the one who is not right. I mean... I just think of our, you know, children and I even think of myself in different instances and in, in arguments and things that happen and this sounds very similar. <laughs> so this leads us then into God's lesson in full that he has for Jonah. So let's look at it for a moment. So if we could imagine this as a dialogue, I think it would look something like this. Jonah you pitied the plant, right? Yes. 
you became angry. Yes, I did. Jonah, did you have anything to do with that plant? Did you labor for it? Did you, did you make it grow? Did you have anything to do with raising it up and it perishing? Let me ask you, Jonah. You pity the plant. But who truly cared for that plant? Jonah answered before, but he has no response to that. Jonah, don't you see then just how right it is that I would have pity on Nineveh? I planted Nineveh. I grew Nineveh. I established Nineveh. I love these people. I have cared for these people. Who else have I done that for, Jonah? What people did I care for? What people are you a part of, Jonah? What people did I have mercy on that you are a people, a part of? Did not I care for Israel this way? Have I not cared for you this way, Jonah? Should I not then pity this people? And again, no response from Jonah. And that's the end of the book. No answer. We are left with God's final question for Jonah. But, is that really the end? Well, yes it is, but <laughs> it is the end. That is definitely true. But could it be that we do actually have an answer from Jonah to this question that God asked him? Well, I think we do. Who wrote this book? By all implications, it seems that Jonah wrote this book. And if that's true, consider the implications of that. Jonah's answer is this book. Jonah did get the point. He got the lesson. What great mercy and compassion of God that is on display for us all to see. Jonah was humbled by this final question. He was brought low. And now he wrote this book for all to see and say, I have been humbled. Now, Israel, you be humbled also. Because they were not hearkening to God's word. And so like this morning, I think God is calling us so Jonah was disciplined here, wasn't he? I think he's calling to, some, to something similar to what we saw this morning. Kiss the rod, Jonah. Uh, kiss the rod, Andrew. You know, kiss the rod, Haven. He will do that too. Kiss the rod, America. And through this simple four-chapter book, God, he challenges Israel. Israel, I have plucked you from the fire, and not just once, but again and again. See the eagerness of these Gentiles, Israel, 
Don't harden your heart. Cease fleeing from my word. Receive it and receive my mercy. And they did not. And they went into exile among the nations. God also challenges Jonah. Jonah, your Israelite nationalism is not right. Israel was to be a light for the nations, not a light for themselves. I am building a kingdom and it will soon come and it will include peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And God, He comes and He challenges us. Church, see what compassion and mercy you have received. You are not to go the way of Israel and keep the light of this cosmic kingdom to yourself. See my compassion and mercy towards all peoples and be a people of compassion and mercy towards all peoples as well. Declare this good news you've been given. Blood pot, people of God. Amen. And so may we. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. Thank you for how many times this book has humbled us and called us to be humbled. How many times this book has not only shown us uh, Jonah and his Struggles, his disobedience, his sin, his stubbornness, his lack of mercy, his condemnation, but it's also turned to show us ours and how we need to change and we need to repent and we need to be like Christ. We need to extend mercy. We need to love all peoples. We need to be a people of compassion and not allowing our comforts, even our nationalism, even our convictions in respect to being a a church that we would say, this is our church, this is us. We will not go out of here and tell others, you are calling us, Lord, to be like you. So help us, Father. Help us to be this kind of people, Lord, that you are calling us to be a people of compassion and mercy as you are a God of compassion and mercy. Help us, Father. We want to be this. We, we know in praying this, that will mean we will have to kiss the rod. And that's okay. And so help us, Father, to accept this, receive it, and be changed and to go out and declare it as well. In Jesus' name, amen.